Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Up on a Thursday, I was about to say Friday, we kind of had a special edition yesterday. We, uh, we skipped yesterday, had some different things going on. But with it being Good Friday and both of us being off on Friday, we now have a Thursday edition of the Rebel Report. I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We have an interesting show today. We've got some NBA talk. We've got, of course, Ole Miss going to Auburn. Well, it feels like a crucial series for like kind of what you think this team might be in the second half of the season. Or I say be in the second half of the season, how the second half of the season may go. Um, you've got a lot of stuff going on at LSU right now. Um, maybe some hockey, maybe some, I don't know. We'll just kind of see where things take us, but what's up? Not much, not much. Yeah. It's uh it's these Thursday series are always kind of three for a loop because you're, you know, so trained for series to start on Friday nights and kind of weird that though. I mean, especially with midweek games, how, how quickly they're approaching the week. Yeah. And like six of the seven series this weekend or Thursday, Saturday was mine or yeah. they, they give the school Decent. the option. Yeah. Um, and Ole Miss, I think, when they're at home, usually takes the option, though not always, because I remember the first year I covered baseball in 2015, I guess that would have been. Yeah. Um, Ole Miss played Tennessee in a Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Oxford. Right. I don't think they had the option until recently. That makes sense. Um, so what is the series going Friday, Saturday, Sunday? I don't know. You know it off the top of your head? I had it in front of me a second ago. I guess I, I could look. It uh, doesn't really matter. But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but – it's kind of find it weird that all six is going on Thursday, Saturday, and one only going on Friday, Sunday. But um, I mean, I guess for starters, we we never really got into the into the midweek game. Ole Miss beat Memphis. It was a very underwhelming game on Tuesday night. Ole Miss wins five to two. Um, Ole Miss only had three hits off predominantly left-handed pitching from Memphis. Um, they they threw a starter that went three innings uh, that was left-handed. Through a reliever that was left-handed, sandwiched in between two right-handers, um, so three hits. But Memphis did walk ten batters, and it was a very midweekish game. It only lasted like two hours and fifty-eight minutes, but it just kind of drug on and on and on because you only had like what seven combined hits, but you had ten walks. Yeah, and, and I don't did Ole Miss walk anybody last night? I can't. Or I thought I remember looking. I know for a fact Phillips walked two hitters. I don't know if any anyone in okay. relief walked him, but I mean it, it wasn't. It wasn't near as much as what as Memphis. Um, so Ole Miss wins five to two. They go up one to nothing on a Cole Zabowski. Was that a base hit or a double? It was a double. It was I think it was a double line. Yeah. Um, and then that leads to a four run inning where, I mean, I'm not gonna like not give Ole Miss credit, but they didn't do a lot to push those runs across. I mean, they got three hits in the game. Two of them were bunt singles that happened. <laughs> so all three of the hits in the game happened in this inning. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they did. That is correct. So they, oh, I didn't even put that note in last night. Wait, they were did, hitless. No, I think Ant's bunt. Didn't it come later in the game? Um, because so, Cervidi, no, it is because you have the Zabowski double, you have the Cervidio single to third base, which is obviously a bunt, and then you have a Josh Hall single. All three of their hits came in this <laughs> inning. Well, I didn't even notice that part in, in So real time. one ball touched the outfield grass. Yes, Ole Miss hit one ball that found the outfield grass, at least in fair territory. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, yeah, I mean, Memphis had a walk in the inning and an error. Cooper Johnson reached the lead off the inning on errors. Zabowski doubled him home. He had another walk with LaPoster drew a walk, which was actually a pretty good at bat. Uh, you had a Stravideo bunt single and a Hall bunt single. So, like, I know people, Mike kills like kill, gets killed for playing small ball, but, like, it worked in this instance when you're really badly struggling against lefties. You manufactured four runs with the help of an error, but still. Yeah, you know, and, and they don't play a lot of small ball. They, they, Mike gets, for all the criticisms of Mike, that's not a fair one. They don't play a lot of small ball at all. I think they're last in the team, last in the league in sacrifice bunts. Um, but they've got to start doing some stuff like that against left-handed pitching. And I'm not saying sacrifice, but, I mean, you've got to start bunting for hits. You've got to start trying to do something else because the numbers are against lefties. Uh, it's no longer a sample size issue. This team really can't hit lefties. So there's got to be an emphasis on trying to do some things differently, um, you know, from an approach standpoint. And, and you kind of saw that with Servideo and Hall. And, you know, I, I'll be honest, I don't know if Ron Olenek's going to play this weekend. So it might be a situation where Josh Hall is, is getting at bats this weekend because of that. I don't um, think he is. Yeah, I don't, uh, I, yeah I don't, he's not done anything for three days. He didn't do anything today. Um, yeah, I don't expect him to play. Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah, like, I, I don't either, because we asked Josh Hall about it after the game, and, like, I, I asked him, I was like, look, are you preparing to, to do this this weekend? And he made it, like, I mean, this is me speculating and me reading between the lines, but he made it sound like that like that's going to happen in some capacity. Mike Gannick didn't really want to shed any light on it, but said, you know, Olenek hadn't done any baseball activities to this point this week. Obviously, at that point, it was Tuesday, not a whole lot of a sample size, but short turnaround. Like, if anything, he's at least probably, like, I, w- I would be very doubtful for Thursday. Oops, excuse me. And f- probably Friday. Yeah. Um, and, like, I could maybe I mean, see a scenario where, like, it, it, like soreness or swelling or whatever it is he's dealing with on the bruise tip goes down. Yeah. And, and it, he, like, comes in for Saturday. But I, I think they probably will give him the weekend off if they can. It, it might be a situation where he can DH. You know, I mean, you're not hawking now fly balls running around the bases. Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. Um, and so we we said, I believe we said on Monday show that we, we thought Mike Bianco was wrong and that it was his other hip, but it's actually the same hip. That so Mike, Mike clarified on our radio show on Monday and, and said, you know, it wasn't actually the crashing into the wall. Because think about it, he was running like – his right shoulder was turned towards the wall, so he er, so he hits it, and you think it's his right hip, which he got pegged against Ford on his left hip. But it wasn't the crashing into the wall that did it as awkward as it was. It was when he fell back down on the warning track dirt. Obviously, he had nothing to brace himself with that uh. already sore left hip. And now it kind of makes sense. Like, I, honestly, I thought after the game, Mike was just trying to be a little bit difficult or not in the mood to talk when he was just saying, yeah, it's the same hip, but it actually is the same hip. So I, I guess that makes sense. So... It, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor by any stretch, but like a bruised hip just seems like something you got to keep the dude off his feet or it, you know, off from doing stuff until it just kind of heals. Yeah. I mean, and, and so somebody's going to have to take that place. Now, look, I mean, um, obviously Josh Hall played there last time, but it's not a situation where you couldn't put Anthony Sridio in center and, and Jacob Adams at second. I'm sure they'll do lots of different things. Uh, to try to try to you know Auburn's going to throw two lefties this weekend, so they're going to have to figure out ways to uh, be productive. And you know I'm interested to see if you know Olenek can't go, and you know for, hopefully for Ole Miss's sake and for the kids' sake that he's okay and he's able to go. But if if not, it's gonna they're going to have to mix and match this weekend, and uh, you know against two or three really good pitchers for Auburn. Yeah, so jumping back to Memphis, though, for just a second, because there really wasn't a ton to take from the game, but the one, no. obviously, the story of the game is really what we've glossed over so far. Zach Phillips goes two innings. 
allowed two runs on six innings, right? Yeah, what I say? You said two. Uh, no, no, six innings, two runs on I believe four four hits, six hits, something. Sure. I, I don't have it in front of me. Um, I thought he pitched pretty well. Obviously, Memphis is not exactly the twenty-seven Yankees when you're talking about going through a lineup a couple of times. But I thought he was good, and he's he was talking about after the game, he's working through some mechanical issues right now, and he thinks he's kind of found something, and a lot of it was him kind of pulling glove side, and that's taking him off plane and causing him to jerk. And so, like, him being kind of more smooth with that and reaching out and not jerking down with the glove when he's following through is keeping him in the strike zone longer. And, like, you know, take him at his word or not, the fact that he's found something. But the evidence is there to back it up in his last two starts in the sense that, no, he hasn't always been great, but he's been in the strike zone consistently more than he has at any point this season. The, the stuff is real when it's in the zone. Uh, I mean, the stuff has never been an issue for Zach Phillips. It's it's being able to get into pitchers' counts and, and not walk people. That's been his issue. Um, so, yeah, like, like you said, you, you can believe him or not. I, I kind of do because – I mean, I think Ron Rollison struggled with the same thing last year. Is is he was he he wasn't able to get to the glove side very often because he was you know pulling through. So I think that's kind of what Zach's been dealing with. And it, and like you said, the past two two starts have looked really good. I thought last night was his probably second best outing in an Ole Miss uniform behind what he did against UAB. And look, I mean, it's it's you can't buy into you know hey we need to throw him on the weekends now. No, you you probably need to let it let it. You know, I think he's probably in the role that he needs to be in. Ole Miss has got some important midweek games with, with Southern and State coming up. And, you know, if he can continue to pitch like that, he's going to give them a chance in every midweek game. Yeah, and sure. And, like, what does staying in the strike zone more consistently actually do? Well, you kind of saw it in some ways last night to where he's making better pitches at a more consistent rate. And so the mistakes aren't compounding. And I think the best example of that – was he gives up, a, like he threw four scoreless innings, gives up a two-out double in the fifth on a pitch I believe he left up, then immediately induces a weak pop-up and gets out of the inning. To start the sixth, the kid, I, I don't remember the kids from Memphis' name, but he hit one a, a mile to dead dead center that went off the batter's eye, just absolutely yeah. smoked it. But then Phillips gets, what, strikeout, ground out, strikeout, and just Correct. eliminates it at that. So he's not compounding the damage. It is not leading to crooked letters and him being out there a while crooked numbers, I should say, on the scoreboard and him being out there for a while. So, yeah, I agree that he's probably in the role he needs to be. But, like, that's a pretty – and I'm not – he's got a long way to go. I'm not ready to declare him, like, I guess, quote, unquote, like, back or, like, at a level that's really going to help him. But if he is good in that role, that's a pretty significant development for Ole Miss because say you just let him keep pitching there and he gets better and better, then, yeah, if Hoagland struggles, you could – I mean, we're a long way from this, but you could entertain slotting him back in the weekend rotation because they're not getting anything after the first two pitchers, really, at this point. Hoagland's shown some signs. Yeah, and I think Hoagland's been a little bit unlucky. Then I've kind of looked into some stuff. It's it's more of a, you know, he he struggles with runner's own and do with that what you will. But anyways, I I think Zach Phillips is going to, if this team is going to be able to reach what their kind of goals are, I think Zach Phillips is going to have to be a part of that. Um, I don't think you can have a bullpen that does not have a left-handed arm. Um, you know, they tried it last year and, and 
weren't didn't have a left-handed arm out of the pen. I don't think it's I don't think that's the recipe for success to have zero guys you can call on out of the bullpen that can throw the ball with their left hand. And you know, I, I think Phillips is obviously the first candidate. Jordan Fowler's just not been able to get it done this year. Um, Caleb Hill's still really young. I, I believe in his stuff, but you know, I, I don't really think you'd trust him in a high leverage situation at this point. So the guy Zach Phillips, if you're looking for a, for a left-handed roll out of the bullpen, you know, going towards the postseason or whatnot. And, uh, you know, the, the better he pitches, obviously, the more opportunity he's going to get. And Ole Miss needs him to be good. Yeah, they do. And then now, so they get, obviously, they're going to they're going to Auburn this weekend. As we've already alluded to, first pitch on Thursday night or tonight, I guess, is, is I think, 6 p.m. So, basically, what Auburn's got going right now is that they have a slew of injuries. They've been hit on the pitching staff pretty hard. They got a really, really, really good right-hander in Tanner Burns. And then after that, there's a pretty big drop-off. But what they're doing, and this was just announced on Wednesday night, um, Burns is going on Saturday, sandwiched Friday. in between two left, or excuse me, Friday, because it's Thursday, Saturday, right. sandwiched in between two left-handers. And this is, if you're, if you're Ole Miss, this is what you're going to start to see. And we said this like a month ago on the podcast. If teams, and you're going to see it more often in SEC play, have the ability to throw left-handers when they can, if they're undecided, whatever, change the rotation, they're going to do it. And that's exactly what Auburn's done. They got a, So they got Burns going against Nikhazy on Friday, sandwiched in between two lefties. So what does that mean for Ole Miss? Yeah, you think you have a bit of a better chance with Etheridge not going against Burns on Thursday. But again, given this team's kind of history against left-handed pitching, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, hell, they just got they got held to three hits against Memphis who threw two lefties. Yeah, and you know it's a situation where if you look at Garrett Wade, he's a guy that he's not really in the strike zone very often. I went and looked; he's, he's walked 22 hitters in seven his last 17.1 innings. So it's a situation where Ole Miss has got to kind of wait this kid out and 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 not you know be so aggressive early in counts, which is not what they want to do. But man, when you walk that many people, you've got to be able to to take some pitches and work this kid and and, and make them go to this bullpen that's probably not. They've got to think of one lefty in the bullpen that they trust in Elliott Anderson, but outside of that, they're not really deep uh, from a left-handed pitching perspective, unless Jack Owen is back, and you know that's to be seen. I think Butch said that he would be back this weekend, but he's kind of said that two weekends in a row and he hasn't pitched. So you know, like like you well, said, but Owen's he, a weekend guy, is he not? When fully he, he is, but he. Yeah, but he obviously uh, he got, you're not running him back out there initially as a weekend guy for his first back. I don't think you'll see him this weekend. I'm not anywhere in tune to that situation, but I don't think you'll see him. Yeah, the only reason I mentioned it was because Butch said that he would be back. But you know, I, I would I'd have thought that maybe they announced him as a Saturday guy if he was. Um, but you know, it it uh it's a situation where the Ole Miss just kind of has to wait this kid out on Thursday night. Now Brooks Fuller has thrown SEC innings for them. Garrett Wade has thrown one SEC innings. He had two appearances. Mississippi State lit him on fire um, where he didn't record an out, and then he gave up. I don't. I think he pitched an inning against Arkansas in a game that was kind of already over. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, Ole Miss is going to have to play well on Thursday night to win, but I think this is a game where, or, or a left hander that they could beat if, if they'll just be patient at the plate because the kid, for, for the duration of the season, has shown that he has the ability to put you on base via a free pass. Yeah, and they need, this is a weekend where Ole Miss needs to get to because coming up, you've got, Texas A&M afterward, who throws two really good lefties. Yep. Then you go to LSU. I think LSU. I think LSU is a really good matchup for Ole Miss. 
What does LSU look like in two weeks? So, like their their injury situation is kind of absurd yeah. right now. And how many of those guys come back? I agree. Regardless, though, they don't have like, a left-handed pitcher on the roster. So. Yeah, that that certainly bodes well for Ole Miss. But like, I, I, if there was ever a time for Ole Miss to break the streak of not winning a series down there since is it eighty two or eighty three? I think it's eighty three, right? Well, I mean, they're playing down there on uh, Eve. This is an odd year, so it had to be an odd year. Uh, so yeah, so eighty three. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'd want a series down there. I mean, this would be the year to do it. You're catching an LSU team that's kind of limping. They're really beat up. Whether Hess is back by then remains to be seen. But yeah, I mean, yeah, if there was ever a time to do it. But point being, you got LSU, then you got State, and then you got Tennessee. So like we talked about it being off to the races in the second half. Auburn's probably the weakest team they're going to see in the second half, and they're not, you know, they're not Kentucky or Alabama. Yeah. So like Ole Miss has got to get two. Yeah, I, well, I, th- I think yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I think I would disagree. I think Tennessee is probably weaker than Auburn. Auburn swept them um, earlier in the year, but yeah, I think it's a serious series that Ole Miss probably needs to win. You know, you look at it and say, oh, it's on the road. We can get out of there, win one, we'll probably be okay. No, I think Ole Miss is is kind of in a situation where you've got to win road series at this point if you want to you want to host a regional. I don't think you can just kind of go in there and, and accept one and say that's okay, especially after last weekend. Had you won two last weekend, it's a completely different situation. But I kind of think this is a situation where you probably, uh, like you did at Arkansas, you probably need to go on the road and make up a game that you lost against Kentucky. Yeah, and with the the midweek situation, it's kind of funny now because you're like – it seemed like the sky was falling in that regard early in the season. But now, if Ole Miss can find a way to beat State next weekend, and trust Mark, you're a Southern Miss win away, essentially, and not a complete you know, throw-up job against Arkansas State, from that not really even being a knock on you. Now, that's a no, small task. But no, like, it is. But, you know, even at 19 and 7, it's it's not a – I mean, you want to win 20 non-conference games. Less than ideal, but not devastating. No, it's just no, a they, small blemish if you're right. – you, the twenty to, to, for 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 those of you probably not aware, twenty and six is kind of the the threshold for your non conference games. There to where they don't really ding you as far as hosting or anything. Like it's not a resume blemish. Anything below that, then you're kind of getting hairy with it. And so Ole Miss, obviously, what they start in the what, what was it fourteen? No, fourteen and six, fifteen and six. What is, what yeah. was it before heading into SEC play? Or I guess well, after I'm- North Alabama. Yeah, because they played North Alabama during the middle of, I think, right before they played Florida. So, uh, you know, something around there. Um, but yeah, Point it's, being, it's, Ole Miss used up all their mulligans in early April, which is <laughs> not ideal. No, no. And, and they don't ever really, what's weird, they don't ever really play well in that Governor's Cup game. Yeah, they don't. And that's the tall task, but that's a big game for them. Yeah, like, and you know, here, here's like, the I mean, thing to hell with the fact that it's Mississippi State, like a single game baseball rivalry, like in the midweek, is, is a bit overrated. It's it's just the the RPI counts the same, and as far as resume wise, like you got to win that. Here's what here's what we got to remember too about uh you know talking about Mississippi State. That's not viewed as a non conference game. I know in the standings, yes, it's viewed as a non conference game. But you, and and I've done this. You go look at team sheets uh, when the NCAA starts to pick teams. That is viewed as a conference game. It is considered a conference game. Um, so yeah, I, I mean it's it's just as important as is the game that the three games you're going to play this weekend, uh, because it, to the committee it's a conference game, and we've seen over the years that however many conference games you win is is a big determining factor in who hosts, who's a national seed, and that type thing come May and June. Yeah, so important weekend for Ole Miss. Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see how they respond. You know, under you know, your head, how many they win? Oh God. 
<laughs> I mean, like normally I'd say two, but like with Auburn throwing two left-handers, like how with any confidence can I say that? But because one of them's horrible. Because <laughs> I mean, the kid that they're throwing against Etheridge, it should be a win. I mean, that, okay, that's and how- I know this kid from Memphis only pitched three innings last night, but. Who would you take if you had if like gun to your head you got to win one game the, the the kid that Memphis threw Danny Dents I believe his name is or Brooks Fuller? No, it's not Fuller. It's Garrett Wade. It's Garrett Excuse Wade. me, Garrett Wade. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, but exactly, but like mm, if the kid's got a left arm and he's got two legs that can throw it, Ole Miss should probably be worried. But the thing is, too, like Ole Miss has got to score like two runs tomorrow night, too, because because Auburn can't hit. That's the kind of thing we failed to mention is Auburn is horrific at the plate. So they're not exactly going to run Ole Miss off the field either. Probably going to need more than three hits, though, right? Yeah, maybe. Not if you get two runs. Yeah, if you I get, guess. <laughs> if you but, get two or three runs off those hits. Depends I'll on how far two. those hits go. I'll say two. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think, gun to my head, I think I'd say two. But I'm not zero confidence in that. Yeah, if they come back with one and, and lucky to get one, I'm not surprised either because you, you just don't ever know with this team. I mean, the to, to quote the infamous John Rothstein, his favorite thing with the basketball team that can't get together is Jekyll and Hyde, and that's exactly what Ole Miss is, I can, mean, to a T. Can someone get me a betting line on the under? That's what I want. I, I'd like that. Yeah, and just like if I mean, in think the way like the way it sets up if if you get out of it at eleven and seven, yeah, you're gonna have to really, really, really hit the the shitter for a lack of a better <laughs> phrase down the back stretch to like not be in decent position. Yeah, because here's the reality of the situation: you have you know everybody talks about how much tougher this the schedule is, and it is. Don't get me wrong. But you have five series against top 25 RPI teams. If you win those series, it's really, really going to help your resume and your RPI. So if you're sitting at 11 and 7, I mean, you've got to go, what, 6 and 6 to finish? I mean, you, this team should not, not, this team should not, not go 6 and 6. So I kind of think it's a situation where this weekend is kind of, you know, it propels you one way or the other for, for how the rest of the season is going to go. Yeah, I would certainly agree. So, that's about all I got on this series. Obviously, once it actually is played, um, we'll kind of know more and be able to kind of, I guess, project more for the lack of a better term. So, I guess kind of moving on, I mean, you got all kinds of stuff going at LSU down on the bayou right now. Joe Oliva was relieved of his duties. He said he resigned after the Louisiana board of whatever they are. It's it's basically Louisiana's version of the IHL. Um this was this move. Like I'm surprised at how fast it happened, but I'm not surprised in the slightest that it happened. Like there was really no big picture, like long term thing with LSU to where Joe Olivo is going to remain their athletic director. And it's not it's not the Will. I mean, I say it's not the Will Wade thing. It's not just the Will Wade thing. It was the way he handled the less miles firing and just not having the balls to actually fire him in 2015. And bringing him, you remember how weird that deal was? Yeah. Where like they played A and M in that game. Was that no, the Saturday yeah, after it was Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah fifteen. Was... And you're like, is he fired? Is he not fired? Like he's being carried off the field. People are crying. Like I don't really understand what's going on. And then he's back. And then they just used it two games into the 2016 season. They came in. Like point being, he handled that horribly. So like the Will Wade thing and the very unpopular suspension, which you can debate whether it was the right, wrong move. I think it was the wrong move was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, in his contract is up. What was it next May? Like he yeah. was never returning anyway. No, no. And they just kind of, you know, it's 
kind of what you do when you know something, it's time for a change. You just kind of make the change. And uh, to LSU's credit, they did. Paul Maneri might be a happy dude right now that they're just, you know, they're kind of in flux because if that team doesn't start winning down on the bayou, he's going to be in a little bit of trouble after last year. But it's kind of that, that athletic department's just kind of been in chaos for a few years now since uh, I guess the, the, Miles thing happened back in 15. It kind of just seems like everything's been chaotic from, you know, Ben Simmons to to this, to the FBI investigation, and, and obviously Miles. It's just been kind of crazy down there. Yeah, no, it, it definitely has. You're definitely right about that. And and this might end up being – so the second part of this story is that LSU did not waste any time. <laughs> um, Like within – like I did – what, is this the fastest athletic hiring of all time? You think they might have had it? You, you think they may have had him uh, locked up before they fired Oliva? Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like think? this didn't probably just all happen in in a day. Six hours, right? Like, <laughs> you don't think they fired Oliva and then got on like the phone and was like, "Hey, man, you want our job?" Yes. So what we're referring to is so LSU and the news comes out today that Oliva's gone, and then quite literally five hours later, it. It is uh, the story broke that Scott Woodward, Texas A&M's athletic department, who is an LSU grad, he has family and I believe his parents live in Baton Rouge, like he's from around there, um, is leaving A&M to become the AD at LSU. And like athletic directors, it's not like a coaching hire that normally, and maybe this is just growing up around Mississippi, is a fairly lengthy process. And this one lasted all of, I don't know, the length of a midweek baseball game. Like, yeah, like. So I think this is a really good hire for LSU, all that said, because like Wood- Woodward's made really good hires. He's got Jimbo Fisher and Buzz Williams on campus. Ooh, I just I just there's something I'm pretty sure in Jimbo's contract that negates a buyout if he's not there. So Jimbo can get out of that contract if he wants to. I don't I'm know pr- at this point why he would want to. No, I don't but either. he could probably tuck that in his pocket for half a decade if things don't I guess come to fruition, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's because because him and the AD were big buddies. I'm pretty sure is is why he wound up going there, along with you know 70 million. Well, guaranteed. I imagine, and I don't know, they had this in front of me, but Woodward used to work at LSU. Obviously, Jimbo was right on staff at LSU under Saban, so I imagine that's how that relationship culti- cultivate or cultivated so this, in some way. If this bad boy blows up in Baton Rouge under Ed, you know it might not. I think Ed's doing a pretty good job. <laughs> This bad boy blows up in Baton Rouge. Jimbo's going to be the head coach there. Um, yeah, and my 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 dear friend Brody Miller, who covers LSU for NOLA.com, great writer, good reporter, pointed out on Twitter that people for a while since A&M joined the SEC talked about this A&M-LSU thing. Is it actually a real rivalry? Um, I would say yes at this point. You've had... <laughs> you've had the Dave Aranda thing, the defensive coordinator that ended yeah. up in, uh, as a court battle. You had a seven overtime. Wait, did game. it really? Well, yeah. What uh, LSU or Aranda sued LSU for the buyout? No, money? no, no, no. This is uh, that's Chavis. That's Chavis. No, excuse me, Chavis. Excuse me. Yeah. Yes, John Chavis. I don't know okay. why I was saying Dave. But you Aranda. know, Aranda, Aranda, when uh, when Jimbo got there, A uh, and M tried to steal him. He's their defensive coordinator now. Yes. Yeah. So that's another layer to it. <laughs> and then you had a seven overtime football game this year end up in a literal fist fight where some guy's pacemaker got like knocked out of place. So <laughs> I would nephew. call that a rivalry. The Egg Bowl probably wouldn't, but no, 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 no. It's not that level. Let's not get crazy. No, but it's a rivalry. Like it's it's the real deal. So can and then to, to your point, were you originally saying that is can you imagine 
if you know things hit the crapper for Ed Ogeron in a couple of years, and A and M's got a blank check for, or excuse me, LSU's got a blank check for Jimbo Fisher. But my thing is, and we're we're probably living in a different world five years from now than we than we even do now. But like Jimbo Fisher's got a ten-year, seventy-five million-dollar contract right now. Like, like what blank check is topping that? Or is it is it ten years, seventy-five million? Is that I thought is it was ten? Not- I, I thought it was ten seventy, but it, semantics. Yes, <laughs> semantics. And point being is like it's a blank check. Semantics. I mean, I'm 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 looking at this like I'm going to look back at this if, I, if someone ever digs this up in three years and be like, God, this is a dumbass question. But like, is a blank <laughs> check really topping that? But you know, I, I imagine in five years if this does happen, you'll have coaches making fifteen million a year at this rate. At some point, you know, we're kind of getting off time. At some point, the the bubble's got to burst on these coaches' contracts, right? I mean, does it? Damn. I, mean, I mean, they keep bringing in more money for the school, more TV deals. The money, like the overall money pot, keeps increasing. I, I guess that money does have to go somewhere since it's not. Yeah, going I mean, to where's the where's the bubble burst? I guess it might burst if you end up ever paying the kids, but I just don't see that happening, truthfully. Yeah, which is a shame, but you know that's another story for another. That's day. another story, yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. So, but but. What I was saying earlier is it being bad news for potentially bad news for other SEC schools is to like you said earlier, LSU's kind of had a lot of chaos over the last half decade. Underwhelming Myers years, them hiring a football coach based on his accent, the Ben <laughs> Simmons thing. Baseball hadn't been as great as they were consistently great as they thought to be. I know they've gotten no. to a title game, but there hasn't been a ton of stability, and particularly from a football perspective, if LSU finds stability and reaches its full potential. That Good could luck. be bad news for other SEC schools, particularly when the fellow in Tuscaloosa retires. Okay, well, that that's assuming that he's ever going to retire and not die on the sidelines. If he ever dies, <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. We haven't con- we haven't confirmed that that man's human, but yeah, no, it's. Uh, I'm going to know at this point if he ever cries or does something with like involved with human emotion, then maybe. But I'm leaning no. I'm probably going robot at this point. Well, then the SEC is is going to continuously be in trouble. But no, it's a it's a situation where LSU is they've always kind of been a sleeping giant, really, to me in kind of every sport. I don't understand why they can't win at everything. It's the state's university. It's you know there's there's metro areas that have really good athletes. Um, it's just kind of a situation where I think that LSU should be a really good athletic program in literally everything. Um, well, the thing is, reason- is like is like they it's they're, they sneaky kind of have but kind of have it. I mean, they have two national titles in less than twenty years in football. Like they've got a Final Four in basketball, but to your point, like it hasn't been consistently as good as people thought. They're like a better adjusted version of what Georgia were, was before Curry I mean, before uh, Kirby got hired. It's like right, how does this team suck in every sport? Like it makes no sense. <laughs> Yeah, they're a uh, non-soft Georgia is what they are because Georgia's just mentally soft in every sport. But yeah, it's LSU's kind of always just like I've said, been been a sleeping giant in, in everything. And you know, if they can ever just get their crap together, and it kind of seems like this this guy coming from A and M is going to mandate that that happens. It seems like that, like you said, it's going to be it's going to be some issues for um for other other members of the SEC West. And you know, I it's. I'm not look. Obviously, I, I'm not an LSU fan or Alabama fan by any stretch of the imagination. But I do kind of wish that game would become a competitive again because, man, those used to be some knockout dragout or knockdown dragouts from uh, from a football perspective. Yeah, that AJ McCarron drive in whatever year that 12, was, Tiger yeah. Stadium, that just ripped their heart out. Really, kind of changed the course of that. Changed the course of that. 
that whole rivalry. And, you know, in more LSU news, I, I don't want to spend too much time as, as we're not an LSU podcast, but we haven't, like, since we've returned, Will Wade is back, back in a big way. <laughs> he has been reinstated as head coach. So Joe Oliva reinstates Will Wade as head coach. We probably did this in the wrong order before he gets fired. I'm all for this. This is basically well, just middle fingers in the air to hell with the NCAA as best you can. Do you think they let him coach from prison? Well, see, that's the thing, though. The feds don't want him to testify. That's oh, the they whole don't. convoluted part of that. No, the feds are motioning for Will Wade to get off the stand. So the most convoluted part of this entire process of this, and I'm not going to go 10, 10, 10 feet deep into this FBI scandal again, but it's the defense it's the assistant coaches and the chuck like the chuck persons of the world like those defense attorneys want to go scorched earth and pull back the cover on college basketball so it's it's those guys trying to get all these head coaches on the stands the feds actually do not want the head coaches on the stands and have actually filed a motion to will wade and sean miller do not need to testify that feels like a thing that'll happen too because it kind of really i don't know if you can really prove the relevancy of those two guys being up there Exactly. And it, all that attorney wants to do is go scorch earth, which is why I think it'll be correct, which is the most convoluted situation ever. You have the feds not wanting head coaches to testify and the people that got caught wanting the head coaches to testify to pull the cover back. So that's yeah. probably a decent reason why Will Wade's back. But I'm all for this. This is middle fingers in the air at the NCA. We don't care. The elite suspension now officially makes no sense because if Will Wade, like, like I mean, he could have coached the tournament he just simply couldn't and so i'm all for this getting as weird as possible <laughs> yeah um and it, it certainly got weird you know another thing is i don't know if lsu would have found a, a decent basketball coach at this point um i don't know where they would have turned to be honest with you so yeah it's uh it's gotten crazy down there on the bayou to be certain uh kind of always crazy on the bayou but it's it's they, they've hired a guy that you know he's done really good really well at AM. AM is really a, a top shelf program kind of at every sport right now. I mean, even even some of the Olympic sports, you look at, you know, golf and uh they're look they're really good in baseball, they're really good in softball, really good in women's basketball. So it's uh he's done a really good job there. So I'm I'm kinda interested to see how he handles things because I think one thing will be for certain. He is uh, a lot more organized um and probably just a lot better at his job than Joe and Lee ever thought about being. Yeah, so interesting, interesting times on the Bayou indeed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 this is there's a lot going on at that place right now. I, I don't entirely know what to make of it. Um, outside of that, not a ton really going on. And I mean, we've got NBA playoffs. Um, the Portland Trailblazers may make the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> You're not gonna and believe good the for them. Um, no, I'm not a believer in Denver because if Jamal Murray hadn't saved them last night, their season was over. Or Tuesday <laughs> night, their season was over. I mean, yeah, it was, San Antonio did, was up though. 16 points in the second half. He, they were up 19 points with three minutes left and didn't cover plus seven. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, – <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, I'm not believing in either one of those teams. And, like, so the the – Trailblazers are the classic example of like everyone, if you don't make win a title or whatever, is like you got to blow it up. And they've been patient the whole time, and they have a really good backcourt and have had a lot of good pieces around it. Like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are bona fide all stars, whether they make it every year in a stacked Western Conference or not. And they're a good, consistent franchise. And this is kind of their window. Now, they're not beating Golden State if they get there, but makes, like making a Western Conference final is not well, insignificant in the NBA. Is Golden State going to get there? Yeah, like, dude. I don't. I, well, 
I, I, I see mean, what you're saying. I guess it, Houston can beat them. They can. Yes. But either way, I don't think Portland could beat Houston. <sighs> okay, fair enough. That, that that's fair. I mean, they certainly cannot beat the Warriors, but I think I think the Rockets could really match up well with uh, with the Warriors, especially with Boogie out. Oh, I'm all aboard that train 100% because the Rockets <laughs> have somehow inexplicably gotten become a better version of what they were last year when you thought it was impossible with some of the pieces they let go in free agency. And then they, what, they were 6-14 and 14 to start the year, which is just kind of remarkable. And we're a choke away from clinching the two seed. But yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily like the fact that we're getting these two teams in the semis, assuming Houston gets past Utah, which I think they will. Yeah, But it kind of creates an interesting dynamic because you're kind of like, okay, which one of these other four teams is going to kind of sneak their way to a conference final? And so, yeah. And then the Iowa stayed up for the 31-point comeback for the Clippers last night. Um, or excuse me, boy, that was Monday night. That was Monday three night, nights yeah. ago at this rate. Uh, so they were down 31 and they come back. Look, the Clippers aren't going to win that series. I'm not breaking sure? any news here. But the Clippers are one hundred percent with a but like without a shadow of a doubt or a close second, the most desirable free agency landing spot this summer in what might be the biggest summer in NBA free agency history. I mean, they're a bunch of role players that are tough as hell with two really good rookies and all they need is two max superstars. That is literally all they need. Yeah, and Lou Williams can ball. Well, he's thirty six. What is he? Thirty six, thirty seven. I don't know. Got, I don't know. He can ball. I can tell you that. Um, he, he and he, Jamal Crawford are probably two of the better bench players ever. I mean, obviously you're leaving Manu Ginobili in there. I'm throwing him in there too. But yeah, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's just a cold blooded scorer. But that's my point. Like you've got him, you've got Harold, you've got all kinds of role players. That's a veteran team that plays their ass every single night. And like literally all they're missing is superstars. They're missing two superstar scores. And that team is a finals favorite. 100%. If Kawhi goes there by himself or God forbid, he and AD go, that team's going to be the favorite to win the title. Not even close. You think, you, you think they'd be that much of a favorite over, over golden state, even with Steph and clay and Draymond. What are they missing though? I mean, with Shai I mean, I'm Alexander, not saying they're like, missing anything. I just don't think that you, I, I just don't, I don't think I agree that they'd be that much of a favorite over the Warriors at that point. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's close in Vegas, but man, you had Kawhi Leonard, who's probably the best two-way player in the NBA next to yeah, Paul absolutely. George, and Anthony Davis to that. I, I, I don't. I mean, it would be a hell. That would be a hell of a rivalry for the next half decade. Them and the Warriors, who assuming they will be without Kevin Durant, but I don't see how you don't favor the the Clippers in that. I mean, sure. I, I, I just, I just think, like you said, it'd be one heck of a rivalry. Um, you know, the NBA playoffs have kind of been great so far. It's, it's been really, you know, I, I've kind of, as, as somebody that's kind of a casual NBA fan since the Lakers have decided they've been terrible, um, I've really enjoyed kind of, kind of watching it every night. It's, it's been some really high level games so far. The thirty one point comeback was insane. Um, you know, Denver's comeback last night was kind of crazy. Uh, it's just been really good, really good basketball, really entertaining to watch. And the storylines are just fascinating. And just think about it when you get next year, presumably when Kevin Durant goes elsewhere, probably to New York, and you actually get a real, like, restorative balance of power in the league. It's going to be, like, must-see television every night. Because the yeah. East is already interesting, because you don't really know who's getting out of that. I think Milwaukee does, but, like, I'm not counting out Toronto, and I'm not definitely not counting out Boston, because they're probably the second most talented team in the NBA. And then the West, if... if if the Clippers do what people think they're going to do in free agency, like can you, you're about to see Los Angeles where the Clippers are the relevant team and the Lakers are not. 
Yeah, oh, well, I mean, what's new? I mean, that's kind of been the case for the past seven years now. Um, sure, but the year would you have thought that a year after LeBron went out there? Like, that's just what's wild to me. Yeah, no, you wouldn't have. Um, so it's it's kind of the NBA's just kind of turned on its head at times. I mean, the NBA from a free agency and kind of just marketing standpoint is it's just it's it's marketed as nuts and it, it kinda is, you know. It's just uh, they figured it out. I mean, the whole league, like the entire landscape of the league changes every single offseason, literally. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you look two years ago, Kyrie's on the on the Cavaliers, and you know that's one of the best teams in basketball. Now they're one of the worst teams in basketball. Uh, obviously, losing LeBron James helps with that. But yeah, it's it, it, the NBA is crazy. I mean, it's it's been so fun to watch, and you know, I think obviously the Warriors are going to win the title again if you make me pick. Um, but yeah, it kind of just feels like the the changing of the guard is going to start happening after this year. Absolutely, and like I'm gushing on the Clippers here, but it's a fascinating story because when Ballmer. The Microsoft CEO bought him. The first couple of years, he was a terrible owner. <laughs> and he hires Doc Rivers, who self-admittedly was a terrible – like, Doc's a great coach, but he was a terrible GM. Just an awful GM. Didn't know what he was doing. And then that whole situation with Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and Reddick and all those guys in Jordan just kind of became toxic. And so – more and more, Ballmer kind of learned how to be an owner. Like, he stripped Doc of the GM title and just let him coach. And then now they're a really, really good, well-run team that's, like, set up to kind of be the next thing in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, it's just it, – this is kind of been a fun time of the year, you know, kind of segue into the NHL, uh, you know. It, it's there's there's really good action on every night. You're, you I mean you can you can turn on the TV every night now and see kind of high-level competition in whether it's the NBA or the NHL. Yeah, so you you picked a pretty good team to jump on the bandwagon, though mine wasn't terrible too because you, you I don't know playing? if you noticed this. So okay, so the Penguins got swept by the Islanders. That was only go. highlighted by the most historic sweep ever, which is the best team in the regular season that wins the Presidents Cup. The Tampa Bay Lightning did not win a game against the eight seed in Colin Brister's Blue Jackets. <laughs> so both of our underdog teams swept. But yours got all the attention because it was just that much worse than Pittsburgh how, uh, getting swept. How much? How much hockey? Or how, how many? I guess minutes of the Islander series did you watch? Not a lot. I watched. I part you watched of one more than game, me. But I watched. I actually watched like an entire game and a half of the uh, of the Blue Jackets Lightning series, and then I've been watching pretty much every Predators game. They're getting absolutely murdered as of this recording, five nothing. Oh, are they? To the Yay. Yeah, so, that series is about to be fans. two to two. Uh, my yeah. roommate, one of my roommates, is a Preds fan, and he is absolutely obnoxious about it. So go Stars. Yeah, I like the Preds. I'm not like diehard. Not going to pretend I'm diehard. I've been going to those games since I was like three years old. But like, I don't know hockey. I'm not going to pretend to know hockey. To, I think their me, jerseys are cool and it's violent. <laughs> it's to me, it's insane that these dudes can play in the playoffs. Like. The, the Preds, all right, so we're recording this on Wednesday. The Preds play the Stars on a Monday night. It is insane to me that their bodies are ready to go on a Wednesday night after I watch them beat the hell out of each other for three hours. Well, and hockey teams play just as many games as NBA teams. I think it's one less, like one league plays 81, right. NBA plays but 82 you, or something look, like that. I, I, it's I mean, absurd. Just kind of, uh, to, I'm hockey ignorant, but I'm assuming you don't go all out every night in hockey. Um, See, I don't know. I've always wondered this. I don't know how to tell the difference because like, I don't watch a ton of regular season NHL. I would say very little. Like if it's on and there's nothing else on, I'll kind of watch it because I was like, I I do think hockey is like very visually appeasing to watch. It is very cool. But 
I don't know how you can tell the difference. I mean, obviously, there's a greater intensity in playoff hockey, but in like a collision sport like that, like they're not going out there and it's not looking like the football pro bowl. Like, if you know what I mean, I just don't, yeah. I don't know how to tell the difference. That That's fair. I mean, I guess that's like me saying that they don't beat the hell out of each other in the NFL and they clearly do every week. Um, yeah. So like, so. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. Cause there definitely has to be some kind of happy medium there. You can't do what you do in a playoff series 81 times and still have a team left in one piece in a hockey season. I'm assuming, I just don't know like what the subtle differences are in like going hard and going not in hockey. All I see is a bunch of foreign guys beating the hell out of each other. Yeah, that's like the sport that you watch and you're like, no, my kid's never playing that. <laughs> like if your kid wanted to play tennis or whatever, you'd like, no, that's fine. You watch that. And you're like, no, no, we're, we are avoiding that at all costs because that just it does. I mean, it's fun to watch. It does not look fun to be involved with. Yeah, I say I, I, I say foreign guys jokingly, but hockey's gotten kind of bigger and bigger in the United States. And like because I, I remember like I grew up going to those Preds games because my grandparents lived in Nashville. And, like, as it, after, like, Preds got six, seven years in, you started kind of seeing, like, hockey rinks and hockey leagues pop up in Nashville. And, like, I think that's why, like, the, the fan base has become so strong because you're seeing, like, kids that were, like, one, two years old when the Preds got there are now kind of, like, grown up a little bit. And now you're seeing, like, second and, you know, sometimes third-generation fans. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of what's cool. Like you mentioned with the Preds, uh, those expansion teams are fun. And and you know, I, look, I'm being a little bit of a jerk by rooting against them, but it's uh, you know, hockey's kind of grown. And, and look, if some, if hockey can get me interested, if I can put on a game on a night that that you know where I don't know many you know players' names, frankly, I don't know more than probably three. If you made me name three, I'd probably struggle. Um, you know, it's it's kind of grown because you know I, I watched probably I don't know 45 minutes of a game last night. And uh, so, yeah, it's 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 started to become a sport that, that's kind of catching on throughout the country. Yeah, and, like, favorite sports to go to? Like, if you're telling me NBA game or a hockey game, I think I'm picking hockey five out of five times. Oh, really? You ever been to a professional hockey game? I cannot say that I have. It is absolute insanity. Like, you think, like, honestly, hockey kind of is not, like, it's not nearly as great on television. You go to one of those games and you see those dudes fly up and down the ice like that, and you're like, it, I mean, I see why people get hooked on it, I guess is what I'll say. It is, it is wild. Well, it, it seems like just in the playoffs, pardon the reference here, but it kind of just seems like it's based off cocaine. Like, it's just somebody snorting cocaine and running back and forth across the ice. Yeah, and then imagine being like six or seven rows up and watching the guy actually slam into the ice like in front of your face. Like it, it's <laughs> it's insanity. So, yeah, that's about all we got. Uh, that was our NHL. We might, we need to have Barry Melrose on this thing uh, okay. sooner or later. Tell you what, I'll give him a, I'll give him a call tonight. Yeah, I don't know how we can book him. I need to find his suit guy because I was up late last or two nights ago after the baseball game, and I was like. Watching some sports center and like that guy's uh that guy's general attire doesn't really catch the attention. It's the stuff of legends. He had like a maroon suit on with a black uh undershirt and a black tie, and I was like, Jesus, who is dressing this guy? Like this is unbelievable. I'm I have colorblind and I can see that ooh, this is ooh, not ooh. who who would you rather uh dress? This is not how it goes. See? Him him or AK. <laughs> AK can Probably, wear some stuff. Yeah, probably Melrose, because I've never seen Melrose, like, he's always, like, chest or waist up standing behind a desk. I've never seen sure. how long his coattails are like AK, because, like, AK's coattails are something to behold. Talk about riding people's coattails. AK could have a small village riding his. Like, those things are long. Um, God. 
So yeah, um, taking taking this long to get off the rails, but <laughs> that's about all I got. Um, we will be back at it on Monday. We hope everyone has a great Easter. Um, we will obviously not have a Friday podcast. That was kind of part of the reason for doing this on Thursday. Um, we hope you enjoy the long weekend. You got anything else? Uh, that's about it. That's about all I got. Awesome. Well, we'll be back at it Monday with some reaction from Ole Miss's baseball series, some NBA playoffs, some other stuff. Maybe we'll have a series in by then. I'm not necessarily sure if that's even possible. I hadn't looked at game uh, threes, game fours. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not quite yet, but definitely have some reaction for Colin Brister. I am Brian Scott Rippey. We will see you guys again on Monday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.